Okay, so this morning we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 through 13. Title is Moses and the Promise of God. I've just been stuck with Moses here. Uh, I've got two or three messages the Lord has got for us if he lets me preach them. I uh, wrote another one this morning, but this is uh, one I wrote the other day. Uh, the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I just feel impressed to say again that the Lord is going to be moving, I believe, throughout the service. And many of y'all will sense the presence of God come on you. And, and I believe God is healing you, okay? So I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am a man of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, Moses was a man. If y'all have not watched the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments is uh, biblically based. It's not thoroughly biblical, but it's an incredible story. You should watch it. If you haven't watched that, uh, uh, then if you haven't, and I'm saying because if you haven't read the Bible, at least that'll give you some clue as to where we're going. The best scenario is to read the Bible, but if you haven't, I want to kind of catch you up today. The Israelites were uh, sent into slavery for about 400 and ended up being 430 years after God had promised Abraham that Abraham would have uh, uh, inherit the land of Cain and his descendants would possess the land. Um, and after uh, 400 years, uh, God said, I'm ready to do something. He spoke to a man named Moses, and God used uh, Moses mightily to bring to pass the promise that God had made 400-something years earlier when God had begun this relationship with Abraham. Uh, God had promised Abraham, and we'll go ahead and, and visit that just so we can get on the same page, that his descendants would inherit the land that he was presently walking through by faith. In other words, Noah, I mean, Abraham came from another land. It's actually his name at the time was Abram. came from the land of Ur, and he moved into the promised land. When he moved into the promised land, God said, I'm going to give you this land, but none of it was his. But God told him by faith to walk through the land. And in Genesis 15, and it'll be up there in this order, but we're going to read 7 and then jump down to 13 and 14 and then jump down to 18 just so we can get a good grasp of what's happening here. And he said to him, I am the Lord, he's talking to Abraham, who brought you from out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. And then verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring, your descendants, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions, and then jump down to verse 18. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. In other words, God's word is true. God doesn't change his mind. And that is why we are uh, through, we, why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So in order to experience the promises of God in our life, we've got to come into agreement with the promises of God. Yeah. First, you've got to know what they are. Amen. And then you've got to believe that what God said, he wants you to have as well. Yeah. Reminds me of the leper that comes to Jesus and he said, if you will you can make me clean. In other words, I heard what you say. I see what you do. I know what you can do. I'm just not sure that, you're sure that you'll do it for me. And Jesus said, I am willing. I'll do it for you. And that's one of the things that we need to realize is that all the promises of God find their yes in him. But I've got to be aware of the promises, what the promises are. And just being aware of them doesn't make the promise manifest in our life. We've got to believe. All things are possible to those who Believe, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God and the salvation of those who believe. Faith is important to receive from God. As we've said many times in the world, the currency of the world that we live in is money. Depending on what society you live in, I'm talking about today and time, it used to be agriculture, it used to be possessions, but now it's money. Everything is converted into, into dollars. Uh, if you live in the United States, the currency is money. And so if you want to receive something from a store, you want to go to Walmart, you want to go to Hobby Lobby, uh, uh, you want to go, God forbid, to Target, you know, <laughs> um, you got to take money, right? You want to walk out with something, you got to give them something in exchange, and that ex medium of exchange is money. By the way, money is just what we, the value that we place on what we do. So if I happen to be an artist and I create something, then what I do is valued by other people and we put money as a means of valuing that so then I can take what I do and I can trade with the money. But anyway, money is the currency of this world. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. Without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. We must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those that diligently see him. So if you want to receive from God, it's not works, it's not money, it's faith. What is faith? Trusting God, believing God, standing on the promises of God. So anyway, the centuries had passed. The Israelites had indeed gone down to Egypt as God had said. They were over time made to serve the Egyptians as slaves. They began to cry out to God with great groanings because of their incredible burdens and mistreatment. And when God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, God revealed himself to Moses and also revealed to him the promise for his people as well as his desire to use Moses to bring that promise he made to Abraham into fulfillment. Now, I want to see the process that occurred in bringing to fulfillment the promise that was given to the Israelites and God using Moses to do it. So first of all, what we need to realize is the promise was given was given to Abraham, but it was re-given again to Moses. In Exodus 3, 7 through 10, the Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. Verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up to the land, uh, to, the, to that land, bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. <sighs> 
And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. For Exodus 4, 29 through 31. And by the way, I know I move pretty fast. That's why we put the scriptures on the screen. So if you can't keep up with your Bible, you can look up there and hopefully we'll have it. So Exodus 4, 29 through 31, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs on the side of the people. And the people believed. Awesome, right? This is what God promised. This is what God's going to do. I believe. And when they heard... Uh, that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshiped. It's awesome when God's word becomes rhema to you. When you begin to see something in his word, you say, oh, praise the Lord. God's just highlighting this to me. It's something he wants to do in my life. Thank you, Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. But sometimes when we believe, it doesn't happen right away. And then what we want to do is we want to quit on the promise. Because we're used to seeing an immediate fulfillment to what we have come to believe. It's, it, but you've got to go back and you've got to realize most of Scripture is written in an agricultural society, so they understand. The Bible itself says the Word of God is like seed. Now, I don't know. I'm not an agriculturalist. I'm not a horticulturist. I'm not any of that. But I do know enough to get myself in trouble um, that if not all seeds grow the same. If you plant some seeds, they grow pretty quickly. If you plant other seeds, they take a long time to sprout. In fact, I was told of a certain bamboo species that is planted. It takes five years for that bamboo to begin to sprout. But when it begins to sprout, it can grow like 20 or 30 feet overnight. It's amazing, right? But the bottom line is when God gives your promise, it's like a seed. All right? And so the Israelites believed God's promise. They received his word. They received his will. They bowed their heads. They worshiped God. Awesome. God revealed himself to Moses, revealed to him the promise that he had made to Abraham and to his people. What's of great importance is that it wasn't Moses who was mentioning the promise to God, but it was God reminding Moses of his promise to the people. God wanted to do this more than the people wanted it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We must be aware of the fact that God, in revealing his promises to us through his word, is actually the one nudging us forward to believe him and partner with him to bring these promises to manifestation in our lives. So that brings us to the second, second uh, point. The promise is challenged. Exodus 5, 1 through 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 7 through 9. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, most of us would say, Praise the Lord, God sent me, made his promise, I'm telling Pharaoh, and uh, go ahead and pack your bags and we're out of here. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and more, moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, how many of us about that time we bow our head and we say, it ain't going to work? And then we'll jump down to verse 7. And not only is it not going to work, but by taking a stand for God and His Word, we often find that things get worse. Because it says here, now Pharaoh, he said, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. 
But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. Now, were they lying words? No, they weren't lying words. It's the promise of God. But the enemy does not want you walking in the fullness of what God has promised you. In Matthew 13, 20 through 21, the Bible says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, the promise, the will of God for their lives, and immediately receives it with joy. Awesome. Just like the Israelites, just like the Israelites did at this time, right? Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And here's the part I want you to see. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So where do we learn from that? Whenever God begins to reveal something from you, you're going to be challenged. The promise is going to be challenged. While God's promises are true and he's willing and able to bring these promises to pass in our life, his promises are often challenged and we must walk through these hindrances, these obstacles, in order to see the manifestation of his goodness realized in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul himself says, We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. There is an enemy, and he comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I know the context for most of us is he wants to take your salvation away. He does. But he doesn't want to just take your salvation away. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your health. He wants to take everything from you. He wants to strip you of it. But we serve a God who's bigger. We serve a God who has empowered us and given us his promises that we can stand up and experience the goodness of God, but we're going to have to learn how to fight against an enemy. Now, here's the question. What do we do when it appears that we're seeing what we are seeing actually appears to be the opposite of what God has promised us? Do we back off? Or do we, thank you. (laughs) I'm not used to that, but I like it. Or do we by faith press into that which God has revealed to us? 1 Timothy 6 and 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Mark 11, 22 through 23, Jesus said to them, have faith in God. I actually like the translation that says, and you can interpret it either way, have God-like faith. What does that look like? Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Now you've got to understand, what is a mountain? A mountain is just like to us. Have you ever said it's a mountain of a problem? A mountain is an obstacle. It is a problem. And here's the thing. Faith is not denying that there's a problem. Sometimes we think faith is, no, I don't want to hear the problem. I don't want to talk about the problem. There is no problem. That is not faith. Faith is not ignoring the problem. Yeah, I know it's there, but I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. No, what is faith? Jesus said, when you, uh, whoever says to this mountain, let me make it a little easier to you. Whoever says to this problem, what problem? Your problem. The one that's challenging what God wants to do in your life. You know, in order to deal with a problem, you've got to face the problem. 
right? You're not going to get, uh, uh, you're not going to get better if we're talking about healing in Christ. You're not going to get better. Let's just talk about any kind of, any kind of situation that you go through. You're not going to get better by denying that you're, you don't have a problem. If the doctor comes back with a bad report, it's not going to make any difference if you say, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to look at it. Then I, you know, uh, I'll just, ah, you know, all the white noise that we create because we don't want to hear it. Now, we don't all say, ah, but sometimes we just don't stop talking. Right? Faith is not ignoring the report of the doctor. Faith is not ignoring the pink slips that come in the mail. That's not faith. Faith is facing them and saying, God, this is what your word said. You said in your word that by your stripes I am healed. You said in your word, God, that you forgive all my iniquities and all my diseases. This report is saying something different. I choose to believe the report of the Lord. That's faith. And then it goes on and says, whoever says to this mountain. So you're not talking to God. What are you talking to? The problem. you got to talk to the problem. Now, we're used to talking to everybody about our problem. And the problem, when we talk about our problem, seems to become bigger. Because we've got to learn to, to change the focus of who we talk to. We're not supposed to talk to other people about our problem. We're supposed to talk to our problem about the Lord. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says... I'm going to stop there for a minute. Because when it says what he says... The context in the Greek is says and keeps on saying. That's it. That's it. Because sometimes you speak to the mountain and the mountain says, uh-uh. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Tell it to the hand. Yeah. I ain't moving. Yeah. Right? And so what do you do? Well, I talked to the mountain. The mountain said, no. No. Oh. Whatever you say and continue to say... Whoever believes that what he says and continues to say will come to pass, then it will be done for him. By the way, you don't do it. Who does it? God does it. But what I'm trying to get you to realize is that we've got to learn how to persevere through the obstacles. We've got to learn to believe God through the circumstances. Right? The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, that's the truncated version. That is the, the, the cliff notes for dummies version. Because the reality, no, no, come on, all right? Yes, it's the Bible. I'm not saying the Bible. I'm, what I'm saying is that that is the summary. What does it look like in real life? Submit yourself to God. That means you've got to bring everything about who you are into submission to God. See, we want to claim the promises of God, but we don't want to live for God. We want God to do any, everything for us, but we don't want to do anything for Him. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny his... Self. That word self, actually a translation says deny his right to self-rule. In other words, you got to get off the throne. And you got to let God be on the throne. Submit yourself to God is not just, hey man, me and God, we're buddies, you're in trouble. No, it's like God says, I want to do this in your life, but I need you to give this to me. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Well, if you want to have power of the enemy, you got to submit to God. Because you won't have any power of the enemy without submitting to God. Well, I carry the name of Jesus, but carrying the name of Jesus and not doing the will of God is two different things. You've got to do the will of God in order to have power with God. You've got to submit to his leadership. That's a bad word today, 
but it's a biblical word. The best thing I could ever do is submit to God. I'm not telling you to submit to me. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I could care less whether you submit to me or not. What I want you to submit to is I want you to submit to his word. The word of God is everything. The power of God is in following and obeying his word. Submit to God and then resist the devil. I told you this is like the, the condensed version. See, what we don't realize is that resisting the devil, we often think that it's a one-punch fight. And oftentimes, it's a 15-round brawl. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You hit, he hits. You hit, he hits. You hit, he hits. Ding, ding, round one. What are you going to do? Well, I ain't going out there again. Why? I don't like being in a fight. Well, you're in a fight whether you like it or not. The question is going to be, are you, and you win as long as you don't quit. It's already been determined. The outcome is we're victorious because Jesus won at the cross of Calvary. So what is my responsibility? Keep on keeping on to fight the good fight of faith. So I go out there for round two. I go out there for round three. I go out there for round four. I can't tell you how many times I've been through some things and I, was, I felt like I was in Job chapter two. And then I got up the next day or I got up the next week, I'm starting to feel better. And I said, I think I'm finally in Job 42. There's only 42 chapters in Job. Job chapter two, everything went bad. Job chapter 42, everything went good. In case you don't know Job. So I get up, and I'm in Job chapter 2. It's bad. And then I get up the next day. I think I'm finally in Job chapter 42, only to find out I'm in Job chapter 2, verse 2. What do you do? Keep on fighting. Round 3, round 4. How long do we keep fighting? Until the enemy flees. Romans 4, 16 through 22. For this reason it is by faith, in order that may be, it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. Talking about the descendants of Abraham, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you in the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and call things into being that which did not exist or does not exist, which is what God did with Abraham. His body was as good as dead. His wife's body was as good as dead, but God said, you're going to have a child next year. In hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. You talk about a mountain of an obstacle. You go to the doctor and they say, you can't have kids. Physically impossible for you to have kids. The report of the science is you cannot have children. And then, not only can you not have children, Abraham, your wife can't have children either. Because her body is as good as dead. He contemplated these reports uh, that his body was 100 years old, as good as dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet without respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. And let me give you a context here. I, I felt like the Lord showed me. He did not waver through unbelief. There will be times when you are believing God and all you hear is unbelief. You're walking through the land of unbelief, and all you can hear is the unbelievites, and they have a good sound system, and they never turn it off. You ever live next to a neighbor that got music going on, and they never turned it off? 
That's what it's like. These unbelievers and all they keep saying, all that, you ain't going to get it. God don't love you. He don't want to do it for you. He'll do it for other people, but he don't want to do it for you. And you're hearing that report. You're hearing that report. You're hearing that report. But Abraham, that's what he was doing. That's what he was hearing. But the Bible says that he grew strong in faith. God said, this time next year, I will have a child. I believe God. And how do you know that he continued to believe God? Because he kept walking. And listen, you can have doubt ringing through your head and have faith in your heart. How do I know I have faith in my heart? Because you don't quit and you keep walking. Remember, there was a song, I shouldn't probably bring it up, that said, I'm walking, can't you see I'm talking? Oh, anyway. <laughs> Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but you're strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. So we've seen that the promise was given. The promise was challenged. Now we're going to see the promise rehearsed. I actually changed this a little bit, the promise review. You see, when Moses went before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, uh-uh. So in Exodus 5.22, and I use the Amplified Version just to give you a little bit amplification of what's saying. The Bible says, Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you dealt evil to this people? Now, just Moses was a person just like you and I. He expected God to do something meaningly just like you and I, even though God had told him it wasn't going to be easy. He said, why did you ever send me? Who and what do we turn to to look at when we go through difficulties? Moses, the Bible says, turns to the Lord. He went back to God in prayer. He, in prayer, refocuses again on what God has said. And he talks to God about it. Now, here's the thing. When we go through difficulties, we believe God, we get excited, we have hope in our life, and all of a sudden we get challenged. A lot of us, we just kind of say, we believe it's an enemy that says, God don't want what's best for you. We don't want to talk to God anymore. We get offended with the Lord. Oh, I would never get offended with God. And so you're lying to yourself. We get offended with God because he didn't do what we wanted. He didn't do it like we wanted. But the reality is God is still faithful. God is not changed. His word is true. Well, how come it didn't happen right away? I can't tell you why it didn't happen right away. I just want you to know that it always doesn't happen right away, but it will happen if you trust God. Well, what do I do when I go through difficult circumstances? You've got to go back to God in prayer. Matthew 14, 30 through 31, when he saw the wind, talking about about uh, uh, Peter when he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come out on the water. He went out in the water. And the Bible says when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Why, why do I include that in there? Because sometimes when we're walking out on the promise of God, we begin to see the problems, we begin to see the storms, we begin to see the obstacles, and we start sinking. But what Peter did is what we need to learn how to do is we need to cry out to the Lord. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why, but Lord, save me. Help me. Give me clarity. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Show me, Lord, what I need to do. And sometimes he said, just keep pressing on. I've been believing God for a healing in my back for years and years and years and years and years. And I see other people that I pray for, they get healed in their back. 
other people, I mean, it's like again and again, they get healed in their back, you know, but why, well, why didn't he do it for you? Well, that's not really the answer. The, the, what I got to choose to do is I got to choose to believe if he'll do it for others, he'll do it for me. And I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep believing. I will experience the promise of God in my life. I can't allow the enemy to, to, to sour me on, on the promise of God, to sour me on God. I've got to continue to believe the promise of God. And I've got to take what I see happening in other people's lives, not as a negative thing, but as a positive thing, and saying, praise the Lord. If he'll do it for them, he's going to do it for me. Well, when is he going to do it? That's not for me to determine. I believe he's already doing it in my life. I'm just going to wait to see the manifestation. So can you prove that? I don't need to prove that. I'm believing that. Anyway, Joshua 1 and 8. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will wake your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So what is he counseling Joshua to do? Meditate upon the promises of God. Uh, learn the promises of God. Continue to mutter the promises of God. That word mutter, continue to declare, continue to speak the promises of God. In other words, when you face obstacles, go back to the Word. Amen. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as we've said before, meditate does not mean to empty your mind. Biblically, it means to fill your mind. See, we read with a worldly mentality. When he say meditate, we go in our closets and go, mm, that ain't going to do anything for you. What does it mean to meditate? To meditate actually comes from the word that means to chew the cud. You feed yourself on the word of God, and as you feed yourself on the word of God, you bring it up throughout the day and you chew on it. You, you get all the nutrients out of it. You continue to regurgitate and to chew and to soak up the word of God. And as you begin to do that, you will become like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit when in its season, at the right time. Sometimes the season for one is not always the season for others. But in its season, it will yield fruit. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Luke 1 37, and I like, I like this one. I preached this on quite a bit because I really like it. Uh, whenever the angel of God came to Mary and he said, you're going to have a child, and she said, how's this going to be? And then it summarizes everything in Luke 1 37 with, for nothing is impossible with God. However, that's really not what it says in the Greek. In the Greek it says, not without power, from God, every word. Every rhema of God is really what it says. Not without power, from God, every word. So I, I found the Amplified, which kind of give you a little bit better understanding. For with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. In other words, how's it going to happen? I gave you the word. And the word of God has the capacity to bring about anything that God wants done. You say, well, how does that happen? Listen, I don't know how it happens, but all I know is that in the beginning, God didn't think it out. He spoke the word. And that spoken word created the universe. Right? We've got to understand how God works. And we've got to learn how to cooperate with God. We've got to learn that in the word of God, there is power. How do we release that power? We believe. 
By faith, we believe God. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that belief sometimes is a process. You got to walk it out. You got to fight the good fight of faith. And then in verse, the fourth point we're going to look at is the promise declare. After turning to God in prayer and God recentering him, God gives Moses two instructions. You got that? How many instructions did he give him? Oh, two. Two instructions. The first is he's supposed to speak the promises to the people. In other words, he is to declare out loud what God has said. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He was to go to the pulpit, in his particular instance, which is the elders and the people gathering together, and he was supposed to declare to them the word of God, knowing fully well that Pharaoh had just said no, knowing fully well that the people of God were in distress, Knowing that Pharaoh was not going to let it happen, God says, I've got two instructions for you. First one, you go tell the people what I said. You declare the promises of God to the people. In other words, he's to declare out loud the promises. First point, speak to the people. Exodus 6 and 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. But, but that's not what Pharaoh said. That's not what's happening. God, he didn't say that. He said, you tell them my word, and you continue to tell them my word, and you speak to them when I speak to you. And we can learn from that. we got to be the same. Instead of, start, instead of believing what Goliath is saying and believing what everybody, you come back with what God says. Yeah. Proverbs 18 and 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. He said, well, I don't believe that scripture is talking about this. Well, bottom line is, what are you speaking? You want to just use natural stuff? Are you speaking the problem? Or are you speaking the, the, the solution? We talk about that business all the time. You talk about, well, there's no, nothing, uh, uh, no principle there, godly principle to be misinterpreted. We understand that what you speak is important. If you get a meeting together, you get a bunch of engineers together, you don't just want them talking about the problem. You've got to see what the problem is. But somebody is being paid to come up with a solution. You don't want problem-oriented people. You want solution-minded people. And in the kingdom of God, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What are you speaking? Are you speaking the problem or are you speaking God's word? And his word is the solution. Maybe we'll come back next week and finish. All right. I stop right there. Some of y'all look hungry. There's something about speaking out the promise that we want to see their fulfillment in our life. In the beginning, as I said, when God created the earth, he didn't think the word, he spoke the word. Jesus rebuffed the temptations of the enemy not by thinking the word, but by speaking them. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. When I'm being bombarded by the enemy, and yes, I do get bombarded by the enemy because there is an enemy. What I found that works is when you speak the word. It is written. This is what it says. Oh, you're never going to get healed. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. 
He carried my sicknesses and he bore my pains, and by his stripes I am healed. To the one who fears name, the, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and I will go forth like a calf leaping from its stalls. And the, and the personal promises, I just begin to speak those out. He said, what, what do I need to do? Speak the Word of God. Well, I don't know the Word of God. Learn it. And then declare it. And then, second thing he told him, speak the promise to the problem. Speak the promise to the people, and then speak the promise to the problem. He said, well, where did you get that from? Thank you. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Exodus six ten through 11. The Lord said to Moses, go in. Now, who's the problem? Pharaoh. What did he tell Moses? Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. So what is he telling Moses to do? You go to that problem, you face the problem, and you speak to the problem. What is he going to speak? The will of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Mark eleven twenty three. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, in the end, it will be done for him. This verse teaches us that we must, we must repeatedly speak the promise to the problem. In Moses' case, the problem was Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, who was directly, directly and obstinately opposed to the people of God leaving. Moses had to go back, not once, not twice, but Moses himself had to go back before Pharaoh, now I didn't do the math, but ten plagues, probably ten times. And what did he say every time? Let my people go. Now, that's not the direct uh, quote, but it's, it's close. Let my people go. So even Moses had to face the problem. Even Moses had to walk through the obstacles, walk through the circumstances, walk through the, the, the things that were saying no. God gave Moses. Who gave Moses these instructions? Who taught Moses to do this? God. Well, I don't believe in that. Well... <laughs> Listen, Moses is a type of how we live the Christian life today. He's teaching us through Moses how do we experience the victory that God has promised us in life. You've got to be willing to take a stand on what God's Word says and fight through the obstacles until you see the fulfillment of what God has promised you in life. But you've got to believe for what the Word of God says, not for what you want but for what the Word of God says. And you've got to make your wants in agreement with what God desires for us. Submit yourself to God, then resist the devil. So in conclusion, eventually Moses and the people saw the fulfillment of the promise as they indeed came out of Egypt, as God had said. Exodus 12, 50 through 51, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host, just like God said he would do. As with Moses, what we learned through his experiences was that to see the will of God realized in our lives, we must be willing to fight the good fight of faith. First, we must know the will of God for our lives. Second, not, not the will of the people, not the will of tradition, but the will of God. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes the will of God is not in, in agreement with tradition. 
Well, this is what we've always done. This is what we've always believed. This is what we've always got. Well, go back to the Word. Is that what God's Word says? Maybe you're not believing for what God actually wants for you to experience in your life. Second, we must, by faith, fight through the oppositions to see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. Third, we must keep our eyes on the Lord and recenter often through prayer. Finally, the fourth thing we must learn to do is to continually confess the will of God publicly and to declare the word of God to the things that are resisting us. So let's, let me use a personal example, not, not for me. I'm talking about for people that have, that have had here struggles in life. Let's say, let's say you're a diabetic, okay? And I'm not a diabetic, but I know people that are diabetic. My wife counsels people that are diabetic, but let's say you're a diabetic. Okay, so um, uh, the, the doctor gives me a report, I have, uh, uh, I'm at risk, or I have, you know, I'm a diabetic. Yeah, so, uh, oh no, what do I do? Oh, uh, I'm not. My dad would deny, I'm not a diabetic. My dad would say, I'm not a diabetic. What are your blood sugars? 300, but that's okay, I'm not a diabetic. And then he'd say, 300 is good, and he'd change the, the parameters of what is good. 300 is good. No, 300 is not good. All right, so what do you do? Do you deny the report? No, but not every report that you get from God, I mean from the, from the world, while it may be fact, it's not truth. What is true? God is true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what does God's word say? God's word says, by his stripes, I am Now, right now, the situation in my life is what I see and what is taking place in my body does not match up with what God's Word says. So what do I begin to do? We're not telling you not to take medication. We're not telling you that at all. We're not telling you to call the doctor a liar. We're not telling you that at all. What they're telling you is what's going on in your body. What we're trying to do is give you a way where you can stand up against what is happening in your life with what God's Word has promised you. Listen, I, I don't believe that. Well, then why do you come and get prayer if you don't believe that? You must believe that God answers prayer. Did you know that declaration is part of prayer? Not Mark eleven twenty two. We were just talking about that. You know where it says, uh, what is the rest of that? Right. Be thou removed and cast into the sea. You do not now, but believe in your heart that what, uh, what you say and keep on saying will continue to happen. It shall be done unto you. But then it says in Mark 11, and it continues with that. Yeah, okay, so Mark 11, 22, then it says, yeah, uh, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer. So what is the context of speaking to the mountain? Prayer. So in a sense, you could broaden this, our definition and understanding of prayer by saying, when I speak to this mountain and declare things to the mountain, that is a form of prayer. Do you believe that God answers prayer? He does answer prayer. That's why we get prayer. 
but I'm also trying to broaden your definition of prayer. In prayer, when God shows you something, you do what God tells you to do in the context of the relationship saying and declaring the will of God. And so what we, you, you, you take the medication that they give you, you do what you're supposed to do. You Listen, we're not telling you to be ignorant either. And I say that in the most gentle of ways, but the word ignorant means without knowledge. Okay? You can't go and, well, I'm a diabetic. Doctor says I got to take this medicine. Uh, you know, I'm taking the medicine, so I'm going to keep eating everything that I'm eating. I'm not going to lose weight. That, come on. You got to bring your life in order as well. You got to lose weight. You got to do the things you, you do what you know how to do. But that's not necessarily, while that can bring a measure of freedom in your life, we're not talking about just doing that. We're talking about fighting with the Word of God as well. So what do I do when I look at those blood sugars? I begin to say, God, I see what is before my eyes, but I also see the promise of God. The promise of God says that you healed all my iniquities. I mean, you forgave all my iniquities and you healed all my diseases. Every time I see that, I just begin to declare the promises of God. In my own particular situation, when I wake up, I always say, God, I thank you because I had a struggle with sleeping at one point. And every night before I go to bed, I just quote the promises of God. Your word teaches me that you give sleep to your beloved. Lord, I, I am part of your beloved. Your word teaches me that. So not only do I believe you for it, I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Next thing you know, I'm waking up. Right? And then when I wake up in the morning, I, I, you know, my back, I said, Lord, I thank you, Father God, that by your stripes I am healed. Your word is true. And then I'll get up and, oh, oh, oh you, know, you know, but the reality is I'm not declaring the problem. I'm declaring the promise. Well, how long have you been doing it? I'm doing it for a long time. Well, how's that working for you? Well, you know, it, it will. I'm not going to quit because the Word of God tells me this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. I, listen, I've, I've seen lots of people uh, talk the problem and confess the problem, and I know that doesn't do them any good. So I'm hanging my... Uh, shingle on what God says and I'm going to do what God says and I will see the fulfillment of what God promised me and I try to take what God has given me and I try to pull it in and use it for whatever God is, 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 is going to do in my life for instance my wife at one point she reminded me yesterday of a prophetic word that she saw she had a little mini vision of me preaching on a stage, and I was sweating, and that's what I do, man. I sweat like crazy. I just, I do. And, I'm, and, and I haven't been walking in the mornings. I started going to the gym because when I walk in the mornings, I sweat so much that I, I get dehydrated a little bit, and, and my back starts bothering me because, you know, it's just, it's weak at those moments. And so I'm thinking to myself, uh, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to preach and, and sweat like that? I won't be able to do that. And then all of a sudden, I catch myself, and I say, well, I must be healed. If the Lord's showing me preaching on a stage and sweating like crazy, then I must be healed. I thank you, God, because you're healing my body. I take what you say, what you're showing me, and I try to weave it into the promises of God in my life. I was praying about this one time about getting older, you know, because when you get older, things don't work as good as they used to when you were younger. Right? And so I was praying about that. And the Lord spoke to me. And I know it was the Lord that spoke to me because I don't think this way. He said, you're going to be, Rick, you're going to be wrinkled and vigorous. <laughs> what does that mean to you? I know what it means to me. It's I'm going to be old and full of life, full of health. 
Because Moses was described as being vigorous, and what did he have to do? He'd have to, God said, I want you to go up and down the mountain. How many times did he have to go up? I think it was seven, eight times he had to go up and down the mountain. And that was just that one time when he was given the law. And at the end of his life, when he was 120 years old, God said, I'm going to take you home today, climb the mountain. <laughs> so he must have been in pretty good health. The Bible says his, his uh, vigor did not abate and his eyes did not grow dim. He was full of health. So I believe God's making me a promise. Well, what my present doesn't match up with my future, that's okay. God's already seen my future. And I believe that his future and what he's seen for me is, my, is, my, is what I'm believing for. And if God said it, I'm going to believe it. And one day, and this is what I want to share. I'm just making it personal for, for me to help you to understand. One day, little Isaac is going to be running around. Who is Isaac? He's the promise of God. And I'm going to forget about all the other stuff. Just like when you have that, that baby, you forget about the pain. You forget about the circumstance. You forget about it all. When you see that baby, that's the most important thing in your life. And one day when little Isaac, my healing, is here, right, I'm going to forget about waking up and being in pain or how I'm doing this. I'm doing, how am I going to manage? I'm going to forget all about that because the promise of God has been manifested in my life.